Here we are looking at commandments number three and four of the ten. God's word says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day, Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as Andy has helpfully reminded us, this is a series which is called Mirror, Mirror, where we are looking into the the mirror of these Ten Commandments in order not just to read them for information, but to see ourselves in them and to see if there are in line with God's glorious standards, any parts of our lives that we need transformation in. Indeed, God's law is perfect here in the Ten Commandments. It shows us where we do what Romans tells us, that we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Not only do these Ten Commandments show us what God is like and what he values, they show us where we fall short of the perfection sinless perfection that he asks of all and it's interesting to look into we see if you were here last week you already know if you're here tonight afresh for this series you'll understand we are law breakers and we we understand what that means this is not some alien concept to us what happens when you break say a traffic law it's quite simple you incur a penalty. In legal terms then, would you say, if you run a red light, for example, are you guilty or not guilty of that? There is no excuse for those of you who would claim to be amber gamblers. We are guilty. No middle ground. Guilty, not guilty. And when we when we break the law, we incur a penalty, we become lawbreakers, we are guilty. It's the very same when it comes to transgressing, breaking God's law as we have it here in the Ten Commandments. And in fact, lawbreaking is so, so serious. Imagine what this would be like if you ran a red light and broke the law and the policeman caught you and was writing you up a ticket and says, okay, I'm also doing you for having no insurance, for having a vehicle that is unfit and not roadworthy. I'm just going to throw in here that I'm, I'm giving you a ticket for driving 90 in this 30 mile an hour limit. Even when you did none of these things, you would not think that would be fair. Yet when it comes to God's law, we understand this is how, how God longs for people who know him to live. Law breaking is so serious before God that in the book of James in the New Testament in chapter 2 and verse 10 it says whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it 
So it's interesting that when we come to commandments 3 and 4 in the matters of honouring God's name and honouring God's day, which are often perceived as being less important, what we see is that in relation, keeping in mind James chapter 2 and verse 10, they all of a sudden become actually a little bit more serious for us. And we would do well indeed to pay attention. We're going to cover these two things. What does it mean to honor his day? Why does God want us, uh, sorry, to honor his name? Why does God want us to honor his name? And then we're going to be thinking about the same question in relation to his day, the Sabbath. Well, in relation to God's name, what is all the fuss about? Why would God have this as commandment number three? Well, it makes perfect sense when you consider the whole thread of scripture, all that God is doing in revealing himself to his people through his creation, certainly, through the prophets by which he is speaking to his people, but certainly, supremely through giving of his son, Jesus Christ, in a sense, the image of the invisible God made visible for us, God becoming man. He is disclosing himself and reaffirming all the way through that he will uphold the honor of his name. Indeed, even in this book of Exodus that the folks in this church have studied over the past year would remember that God has revealed himself to Moses declaring his divine name, the very name of God saying to Moses and in a sense saying to his people through the mediator Moses, here's who I am. It says in Exodus chapter 3 and 15, this is the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Already in that, you see, well, God, God is really quite eager to retain some value in relation to his name, in a sense, his reputation. And furthermore, God has insisted throughout this book of Exodus as well that he's working to rescue his people from the hands of of their evil oppressors with such a display of his power that his name might not be well known by the people he rescues, but by the nations. His name would be known throughout the whole earth. Indeed, you even see a little bit of an evidence of this in Joshua chapter 2, when eventually, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, God's people cross over into that, getting ready to cross over to that promised land. There is that discussion between the spies and Rahab. And Rahab says, I've heard all about you. I have heard all about the name. And she uses the name Yahweh for God that he has disclosed to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. His fame spreads. What we need to understand here though. God is passionate, passionate about retaining the value of his name before people. Why? Because, because it is the name by which people who are lost and people who are deceived and people who are weary and people who are needy and people who turn to other things for satisfaction in life it is the name by which all of these people and all of humanity are saved so we need to understand in this though that God is not some egotistical maniac in everything that he does, his desire is to preserve and display his glory so that by exalting the value of his glory and by opposing those who belittle it, as I say, he shows us the way of salvation and vindicates that great and glorious name from all contempt. 
turn with me if you would just quickly over to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36. From verse 22. Here is the extent to which God will go to to retain the honour of his name and protect that name, vindicate that name from all contempt. It says in verse 22 of Ezekiel 36, Therefore say to the house of Israel, This is what the sovereign Lord says, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. So in this passage, what you have is God insisting that he is going to rescue his people for the sake of his own name. I mean, his people had been continually disobedient, sinning against the very holiness of God, breaking these commandments And their weakness and the punishment that fell on them was really a blight on the name of God. We understand what this is like as well. I mean, it's maybe not so common nowadays, but I remember as a child in my pre-conversion days of insolence, shall we say, having people say things to me which questioned my mother's methods in raising me as a child. You, in a sense, uh, your behavior is a reflection, you could say, on your parents. Or sorry, I shall personalize that. My behavior in that case was being interpreted as a reflection on my parents. We understand this is, in a sense, what's happening here. The life and the conduct of God's people, Israel, is a reflection on who God is. And what are people seeing? They're seeing an unhealthy and an untrue picture of God by their flagrant disobedience of his law by their ill-attentiveness to how they're living their lives and as a result God's name is profaned it is not held in honour it is trampled in the dust so God is passionate about retaining before all the value of his name and he will one day Vindicate himself clearly so that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. He will work to vindicate his name. So the right and the proper use of the name of the Lord is to call on his name in in salvation. Acts 2.21, Peter is saying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a name that is to be valued because it is by that name that we are saved from our sin. And it's the name by which God's people are to live by and to, it's the name by which we are to pray. Indeed, we are to pray as the Lord Jesus teaches us himself, that we should be continuing, reflecting God's passionate pursuit of the honor of his name as we pray, hallowed be your name. It's so important. And yet so often we have this this dissing of God. It's a word I appear to have invented. Disrespecting. 
We see this in all sorts of ways. You know, we, we, I mean, in, in 2006, I think it was, there was the, the Blair agenda on respect. Give respect, get respect. That was the answer of the government at, to the cry of many, whether that was teachers in relation to the, the unruliness of the children and the lack of respect they were being shown, or actually, sadly, the way in which some young folks running the streets were treating the senior citizens of the neighborhood. There was a great call for respect. And what we were seeing was in our culture, just an effervescence, if you like, a bubbling to the surface of disrespect. We under, you've seen that even in our comedy shows. Are you disrespecting me? Was a famous phrase from one comedian. There is a standard of respect and honor that we seek to employ and that we do not like whenever it is not held high as a standard for us. So with all of this in mind, it's no, un, it, it, it's no real surprise then that we see, if you look down in Exodus 20 verse 7, this third commandment where God says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. You shall not misuse it. It begs the question, well, actually, how do we misuse this name? And how do we avoid this guilt? Because the Lord is quite clear in saying here that you will, um, in, in verse 7, the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So it's a serious thing. Well, we hear the name of Jesus and we hear God being spoken in many ways, I heard it this week plenty of times in Starbucks. I heard it on the bus. Uh, but what saddened me was that this name was not being used in a reverential sense, but it was used as an expletive along with all the other expletives that I will not mention. And it's a sad thing for a name which is to be given so much honor is used as a point of exclamation. It's, it's deeply sad and serves to show the extent to which honor or dishonor is given to him and we need to be very careful with this I see even on Facebook pages of some of our Christian brothers and sisters who have joined groups which are prefixed with OMG which represent those three words oh my God again using it as part of some kind of exclamation. We need to be extremely careful. We are in danger of misusing the Lord's name. We certainly misuse the Lord's name when we use it as a swear word. Indeed, when we do what the King James Version says, we take the, the Lord's name in vain so as to just empty it of his worth. We don't say it with any particular meaning. We're not thinking about God. We're not thinking about the Lord Jesus and who he is as creator and sustainer and saviour. So we misuse God's name when we use it as a swear word. That's, that's one of the more obvious ones. But we also misuse God's name when we use his name to endorse our word. If you're, we, we often do this. People follow up some statement that they've made by saying, you know, honest to God. Or they find some way of of attaching God's name to a statement that they have made. And the problem with that is that the most frequent use of such expressions occur in fact when we're lying. 
And what we do is we use God's name to confirm what is false rather than what is true. And God saw that coming a mile off. In Leviticus 19.12 we read, Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. In other words, God is just consistently throughout his word underlying the holy reverence by which we should be coming before him. And of course we misuse the name of the Lord when we use it for personal gain as well. I mean, groups and nations have for centuries tried to boost their own credibility by claiming that God is on their side and God supports their cause. I mean, he's been, his name has been used to endorse everything from the crusades to the slave trade, from political parties to social causes. Individuals try to boost their credibility as well by claiming God's direct endorsement. And this is prevalent in the proclamation of those false prophets who just flippantly if you like cry out this is what the Lord says thus saith the Lord when in fact God has not given them a thing to say they do it for their own personal gain and we need to be careful about this in church as well I mean how often do we go up to someone and just say you know I really feel the Lord told me to tell you this is it really any different we need to be extremely extremely careful Because the Lord reminds us that he will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name even for that personal gain. When we use God as some kind of mascot to back up what we say. Or when we use God's name to try and convince people. When in fact we should just really admit to the fact that we're lying on many of those occasions. And ask for forgiveness. We're also in danger of misusing God's name when we use it without reverence. Probably the most common way we break the third commandment. This particularly for those of us who are believers, breaking the third commandment when we are careless in our worship. Every time we sing of the glory of God's name without truly reverencing him in our hearts, we break the third commandment. And there are many other ways in which we fail to honor his name And again, we're just reminded of the fact, we understand how this causes us guilt when we break his law in this regard in relation to commandment number three. Especially when understanding that God is passionate to retain the glory of his name. We understand, actually, this is no trivial matter. This is a very serious matter. So even for those of us, perhaps among us who aren't Christians, if I have been walking through those four items in particular in relation to how we misuse God's name, do understand that that makes you a lawbreaker according to God's word. That all of those who dishonor God in this way, they're not guiltless, but guilty before him. But here's the good news that we need to understand, a good news that I want to make sure is clear every after every consideration of every single one of these commandments, as we look in the mirror of this third commandment, what do we see? Well, we see sinners, because not one of us is perfect. But we should be bringing to mind the great grace of God when we recall that the truth is that God loves those people who misuse his name. And that God showed the extent of his love for those who misuse his name by sending his son to die for people who misuse his name. And the truth is Jesus receives people who 
misuse and dishonor his name. So the, 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 what must we do this evening if we are found guilty in response to the consideration of this commandment? Well, the answer is simple. And the answer is the same today and every other day. It is repent. It's turn from that way of disobedience and dishonoring of God's name and call on his name and be saved. Giving him due reverence as your creator, as your sustainer, as truly the redeemer who sent his son Jesus into this world to save us from all of our blasphemy and for all of the ways in which we dishonor him and his name. Call on his name. This very same applies when you look at verse 8 with me. When we are called not only to honor his name, but honor his day. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. God is really eager for us, friends. You must understand this. Really concerned about the sanctity of one day in seven for us. Sure, he's concerned about all days all of our days that we live before him but he is concerned for the sanctity of one day in seven and this again is applicable today as any of the other commandments maybe we need to hear that because too often to too many of us I think just experience secular culture creeping in and trying to convince us in some ways to make this commandment a little less relevant. But I don't believe there are any convincing reasons to think that the fourth commandment is in a different category from the other nine. I think it's more likely the case that we try to minimize the importance of this commandment and its 21st century application for us is because we don't like the implications of the fourth commandment because it it butts in on our lives. It butts in on what we've become used to. It butts in on recreational activities. And perhaps that's why we prefer to lessen it and set it apart. It's often seen as irksome, isn't it? Obedience to this command. It's a hassle. That's how it's perceived. The notion of keeping the Sabbath day holy is related to a whole list of stuff that you're not allowed to do, we think. Oh, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't buy a Sunday paper, you can't go to Tesco after church, you can't play football in Sunday league. And all of a sudden, the fourth commandment is almost, it's not just irksome to some of us, it's punishing. But I believe we miss the point if we truly believe that. Because irrespective of the fact that God has the right to demand the setting apart of ourselves for holy devotion on three, five, seven days, we need to understand this about the Sabbath. The Sabbath command is a wonderful gift from God given by him for our good so that we might find our supreme enjoyment in him. In him. How do we do that? By setting this day apart. That's what God means when he commands his people saying, remember the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. Set it apart so that it's different from every other day and give it that particular holy dimension. And sure, we are to serve the Lord every day, acknowledging that every day is his and every moment of every day is his. But that does not excuse us from obeying the fourth commandment because God has commanded it 
And his word stands. How do we keep it holy? Verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And it goes on. Now what you have there is just this little textual sandwich. And what you're tempted to do is look at the two slices of bread which refer to work and resting from work but miss the filling. Let me explain. I think it's really easy to shrink the application of this commandment into the realm of just work and activity alone and reckon that because God tells us to work six days and on the seventh day do no work that it's all about just resting, having a break, that God appreciates the fact that we're going to work hard for six days and then that we're going to be so tired that we're going to need a little break by the end of it. But notice the filling in this sandwich. The seventh day is a Sabbath. What are those three words there? To the Lord. To the Lord. To the Lord. The rest by which God has commanded is a rest from work. Yes, certainly. But it's a rest to him. Our day of rest is intended by God to have a positive focus towards him. The one day in seven, not just a break from routine, a day, it is a day when we find what the psalmist found, that our soul finds rest in God alone. That there is an, an, an active devotion of a day to him where we are released into the joy of worship and prayer and acts of mercy and Bible study fellowship with brothers and sisters. The Puritan, Thomas Watson, said this of the Sabbath, God made this day on purpose to raise the heart to heaven, to converse with him, to do angels' work, and to be employed in earthly work that is to degrade the soul of its honor. Now, the question always arises at this point. Well, what can you do on a Sunday and what can't you do? I'm not going to tell you. Because that would make me a legalist. I would just tie you up in knots. And that's not a good thing to do. I mean, this was the problem of the Pharisees back in Jesus' day, of course. They had taken the Sabbath and it had kind of mutated into something bizarre. For example, in the code of the Pharisees, they said that if a wall fell on top of a man on the Sabbath, those attending were only allowed to lift as many stones as was required just to see if the man was going to live or not. If it looked like he was able to breathe, they would leave him till the next day. Let me state the obvious. That's not what God intended when he instituted the keeping of the Sabbath. The word of God just straightens out for us. The true purpose of the Sabbath in Matthew 12, where the Pharisees are confronting Jesus, just as he was about to heal a man with a shriveled hand, they say, is it lawful for us to heal on the Sabbath, Jesus? And Jesus' reply just points to their abuse and, of the fourth commandment and the hypocrisy of their actions, saying, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? No doubt they blushed their hypocrisy. Jesus says, how much more valuable is a man than your sheep? And of course, he had no hesitation in saying to the man, stretch out your hand. Jesus came, you see, to tear the Sabbath from the hands of the legalists and give it afresh to his people as a blessing, 
and not a burden. And that's why we are called to keep that. It is a blessing for our good, not a burden. By keeping it, we again dignify the commandment of the Lord and honor him by honoring a day when we are devoted to him. Here's a question. Does that sound like something you would want to do? To be devoted to him for a whole day. Devoted the whole day to enjoying God. If the answer is no, you really don't like the sound of heaven. And you should pray about that. You should really talk to us about that. Because whenever we undervalue this Sabbath day devotion and think too little of enjoying God together to the extent that we hope we can get our service out of the way so we can get home and watch Match of the Day too, or in the morning get home and watch your, uh, watch your dinner, eat your dinner, we stand condemned by this fourth commandment. And indeed, if you're here today and you're not a believer, I don't really anticipate that you would have any standard necessarily in this. Our culture encourages us to forget the fact that it's a day that's different. The shops are open. You can go about your business. You can go, some of you can go into the office. It's not really a day that's different. And indeed, in relation to the example that's set for you by the church, sometimes we're not the best reflection of God's holiness certainly in this and by that I don't necessarily expect you to have any understanding of keeping this fourth commandment but the truth of the matter is you know if you if you break some law I mean in the states this is a typical example of this in some states you you can do something in particular and it's counted as some felony but if you cross state lines it's not I'm not speaking from experience here, you'll understand. But sometimes, in the case of God's law, even if you transgress the law without knowing it, you're still counted as a lawbreaker. The guilt that we saw in the third commandment still applies when we break the fourth commandment. So we ought to get on our knees and thank God for providing us with a great understanding of the truth. I mean, the call for us in this, of course, as you look between verses 8 and 9, uh, 8 and 11, God is calling us to remember two things, first of all. And, and I want this to just, just to be a recalibration for all of us, even for those of you who are here tonight who are not believers. Let's just recalibrate your understanding of what is going on in life in terms of your relationship before God right now, okay? God is our creator. The first thing I want to say in that, in verse 11, we see God's people reminded of God's great work in creation. In six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God created all things by the word of his power. The fact that you are sustained right through this very second just now with breath in your lungs is because of the sustaining grace of God. God is our creator. And the example he is giving us here is that in, in relation to the Sabbath is to say that he has created and then on the seventh day he rested. And by his resting, he was acknowledging that not that he was tired. He is God. He does not tire but because he was satisfied with what he has made. It was good. And by modeling 
his people's week on his week. He is in effect saying, let my people stop working and focus on me and bring to mind that I am the source of all that they have and that I am, the, I am worthy of their blessing and worthy of their praise and honor. God is our creator. He is worthy of our honor and our praise. Secondly, God is our savior. This is the second thing that we see here. And, and I suppose you could say it's drawn from the second version of the Ten Commandments found in Deuteronomy 5, in verse 15 in particular, which says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Remember. It's about remembering the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. For when we keep the Sabbath day, certainly we do not keep the Sabbath as the Jews kept it on Saturdays, but we keep it on Sunday as a mark of a reflection and our gratitude for the fact that Jesus, of course, was raised to life on that third day. The early church uh, began that practice for us and we have followed that on. But the call for us here is to remember salvation and keep one day apart to remember that. That's how we honour this day. And we must make as much room in our hearts as we can for him, for full-on fellowship with our living God. And as I say, that same guilt that springs from a breach of the third commandment emerges here when this fourth commandment is broken. But the, the same is true in relation to our forgiveness that is offered here. For all who've broken the fourth commandment and feel the guilt that comes from, break, from this sin, we need to understand that God loves Sabbath breakers. That God sent his son to die for Sabbath breakers. That Jesus receives Sabbath breakers. So what must Sabbath breakers do this morning? The answer is simple. This evening, the answer is simple and the same day after day. Repent from those ways of dishonoring God's day and turn to Jesus in faith and take hold of the gospel. See the way the law works. And the way Christ, the law shows us our sin. And immediately we see this, this is impossible. I cannot live to this standard. Well, I hope you are saying that, friend. Because that's the very truth. But that's the truth in a sense which points us then to Jesus Christ, the only one who has ever and will ever live to that standard, a standard of sinless perfection. We all fall short of the glory of God. But he has lived out every letter of the law. So the law shows us our sin. But by grace, the gospel points us to Jesus who shows us our salvation. Listen to Patrick Hamilton on this. Patrick Hamilton was a man who bled for this gospel in St. Andrews when the Reformation was really taking hold. He was in his early 20s when he died for this. Listen to this. This is stunning. The law says to the sinner, pay your debt. The gospel says, Christ has paid it. The law says, you are a sinner. Despair, because you shall be damned. The gospel says, your sins are forgiven you. Be of good comfort. You are saved. The law says, make amends for your sins. The gospel says, ah, Christ has made it for you. 
The law says, the Father of heaven is angry with you. The gospel says, Christ has pacified him with his blood. The law asks, where is your righteousness, your goodness and satisfaction? The gospel says, Christ is my righteousness. Christ is my goodness. And Christ is my satisfaction. And where the law would say, you are guilty and bound by your own transgression to hell, the gospel says, Christ has delivered you from them all. So put your faith and trust in him. Because he paid the price for guilty sinners like you and me so that we could know what? The very thing that we were thinking about in Hebrews chapter 4 that we read from earlier. Because this is also what the Sabbath points to. Future rest. A future rest from all of our weary toils working through this sin that we struggle with all the time. A Sabbath Rest And the call today for everyone. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That promise of rest still stands. Confess your sin before him. Call on his glorious name and be saved. And live to honor him until he grants you rest and grant you that inestimable joy of seeing him face to face. Let's pray together. Just take a few seconds. If you have been convicted by anything we've been thinking about tonight why don't you confess your sin before God and ask him for the grace of his forgiveness call on his name be saved if you're a believer repent of your sin and know his cleansing Since the promise of entering your Sabbath rest still stands, Lord, let us be careful that none of us be found to have fallen short of it. For we have had the gospel preached to us. And the message here is of no value if we do not combine it with faith. Grant us faith to believe. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. And on hearing your voice, may we not harden our hearts but may we confess our sin before you. Thanking you for Jesus Christ who died the death that we deserved, having lived that life we should have lived but could never. That same Jesus who was raised to life again, vindicating that sacrifice that he made on that cross of himself where he bore our wrath and our guilt and our shame and bore it away. And may we look forward in faith to your Spirit's help in our daily lives as we seek to honor your name and honor your day 
and as we look forward all the more to that day when Jesus returns and we will truly enter that Sabbath rest. Let us all enter into it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.